Hello, and welcome to Quilt Achievers Market Uncut Podcast, your weekly insights into the topics and trends that we've been exploring for you here at Quilt Achievers. I'm your host, Edward Lloyd, Investment Manager based in our London office, and this week I'm pleased to be joined by our regular podcast guest, Richard Carter, Head of Fixed Interest Research, and Matt Enyan, Alternatives Fund Research Analyst. Good morning to you both. Starting off, Richard, uh, on the face of it, the employment numbers out of the US last week appear strong, with the ADP figures showing 497,000 jobs added, uh, while non-farm payrolls also increased by 209,000. Should we take this as a sign that the US economy is still demonstrating resilience in the face of rising interest rates? Yeah, good question. I, I, absolutely, I think we should. I mean, the ADP number um, was a huge surprise, actually. It was it was twice as much as I think the most optimistic economists uh, expected. And, I, and, I, and uh, it, you know, I guess in some ways it wasn't a surprise that that didn't quite show up in the non-farm payrolls. But overall, the data out of the US has been pretty resilient. If you look at um, not just jobs, but housing market data as well, um, there's certainly no immediate sign that this sort of off-talked-about recession is, is on the cards anytime soon. So uh, that basically means that the Fed's job is not done. And we've heard quite a few comments from Fed officials recently that uh, although they took a pause at the last meeting, uh, we can expect one or two more rate hikes uh, to come as, as the year goes on. So yes, the US economy is proving um, to be very resilient. I think it's also, you know, it's, it's, it's funny taking those numbers because it still sort of splits opinion massively. You've got, you know, the, like you said, the ADP numbers uh, appeared so strong. And, and yet, you know, on, after the non-farm payrolls, you still had people saying, oh, here's evidence of the recession coming, given that they've been sort of trending downwards. So it's like you said, people are still very split on, on what's going to, to happen out there. But, you know, I, I generally think like, like you were just alluding to, it is showing. Uh, sort of signs of resilience uh, in the in the U.S. economy, and um, you know, I think the other thing is, you know, we're seeing that um, the wages are, are still picking up. So, like you said, definitely Fed not done yet. Um, but I think sort of you know, moving on to the U.K., you know, we had some good news last week, and that England won the third Ashes Test, uh, so the series remains alive. Uh, however, you know, not such good news is that uh, you know estimates are now seeing U.K. rates moving to. 7% with the economic environment deteriorating. Um, you know, could you see the economic environment deteriorating uh, substantially in the UK if they go that high? Yeah, I guess the ashes is providing a good uh, distraction from what's going on in uh, the mortgage market at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. There was a, um, uh, a sort of report done by JP Morgan that um, suggested that uh, interest rates might have to get to 7% to get inflation under control. Obviously, you know, the headline writers sort of seized on the 7% number, didn't, but didn't actually, you know, uh, probably read the rest of the report, which said that you know, JP Morgan's base case was more about, I think, five and three quarters, which is where rates might might end up at. So um, the headline didn't maybe tell the whole story. Um, I mean, markets at the moment are pricing in about six and a quarter interest rates by early next year. Um, I think that will be more than enough to slow the economy and get inflation under control because there is a, a real lag with these things and we're only really starting to see the impact of 
um, all the rate hikes we've seen over the last year or so. So I don't think we'll need to get to 7%, but um, you know, clearly if we did, I think that would be um, really, really bad news uh, for the economy. And, and um, you know, talking about the US, maybe a soft landing could be on the cars if, if the Fed does its job well. Well, I think, um, you know, hard landing in the UK is, is possibly more likely uh, than a soft landing if we if we have to go all the way to 7%. Yeah, and I, you know, I, th- I think also one of the, the divergence between between the two is the is the sort of the rate sensitivity, uh, and particularly, you know, the housing market in in the UK. The the duration uh, of our mortgages tends to be much shorter than, uh, than in the US, where they have sort of fixed term thirty year mortgages. Um, but but sort of on that, you know, I guess one of the things that's that surprised me is that you know with, with rates moving to in the UK to sort of 5% and, uh, you know, and like you were saying, pricing in now 6.5%, you know, we haven't really seen the housing market crack that much. Um, you know, that said, you know, it did it did fall in June. I mean, you know, what do you, do you see a correction or, or, or even a large correction, uh, you know, going to occur in this market? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one. I mean, it's still, as I say, it's still relative, relatively early days in, in the sense that there is a lag on the impact of interest rates. Uh, as, you've, you know, as you've said, you, you may have some people on variable rate, but there's an awful lot on um, fixed terms and those take some time uh, to roll off. I think it's about 1.2 million people this year whose uh, fixed term rates are, are rolling off and I have to refix or, or, or move on to much higher rates. So it doesn't happen overnight. The, um, I would say with the, the housing market data, you are seeing reports that prices are starting uh, to fall or have fallen. And, and also, I would say if, if housing market, if housing prices are flat, then you know, in real terms, they're, they're, you know, they're not going up anywhere near as much as inflation's been going up. So in real terms, they are uh, effectively falling. But I think it's still early days. And, and as I say, if um, mortgage rates and interest rates keep going up, then clearly there are going to be uh, potential uh, implications for the um, for the housing market. I think also you have to think about other factors in terms of the construction industry. So um, interesting, I think the, um, the construction PMI we saw recently that um, uh, activity in the sort of residential market really was very, very weak, you know, sort of like levels during COVID lockdown. So it's not just the impact on um, uh, on mortgage holders. You also start to think that house builders might uh, be reluctant to start new projects if they're, if they're worried about where mortgage rates are going. So th- these, these things do take some time to unfold. But um, yeah, clearly it's, it's a concern. Yeah, and I saw a rather brilliant, uh, if, if not depressing, chart the other day, which was just showing... Um, you know, the effect of, of interest rates on mortgages. And, you know, they were showing, um, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, mortgage payments for a £500,000 uh, sort of property with a 25% deposit uh, would now be sort of £2,000 a month. And previously, you would have been able to afford, uh, you know, at lower rates, albeit a house of £800,000 uh, with those monthly payments. So it just shows you how how sort of uh, you know how impacted the market has been in terms of affordability by these these higher rates, and yeah, as you were saying, there's, there's not been you know the full correction in in house prices. You know, even if they are sort of coming down a little bit. But staying on the sort of topic of the UK, uh, you know, one thing we sort of continue to discuss regularly is whether the UK is an outlier versus sort of other countries in the inflationary dynamics that it's experiencing. Um, you know, which which side of the fence do you fall on this argument? 
I'm I'm not I'm not so sure. I mean, it's um it's not like I mean headline inflation is coming down in other countries maybe a bit quicker than here, but they've still got the same problem in the fact that core inflation is the problem, and you you know you've got high wage you know, high wage growth, uh, inflation in the service sector. So in that regard, you know we're not much different. I would just say that potentially there's more of a lag here, um, and uh, we are kind of suffering from a few other issues particularly around the tightness of the labor market so um unlike in other countries there's a lot of still quite a lot of you know uh, long-term sickness and, and economically inactive people who haven't come back to the labor force uh post-covid so that's not helping um we're also quite reliant on um uh you know imported food and energy so there are some there are some senses that the uk is an outlier but i think over time that will sort of wash out and uh, as i say we we're, we are facing problems with core inflation just as europe is just as the us is yeah brilliant so i i definitely think um you know totally agree with everything you said and you know really that that challenge for central banks going forward now is is, is going to be sort of focusing on on core inflation and and, and trying to get that back to a, to a number sort of nearer two percent um, but you mean know, aside from sort of uh, you know inflation and, and interest rates, you know, Matt turning to you, um, you know th- th- these impacts have also sort of you know of, of higher interest rates and inflation have you know have have hurt the infrastructure space and uh, you know the discounts we've seen on on some of those trusts have have widened pretty significantly. Uh, you know, do you believe that they continue? Do you believe they now look good value in this environment? Yeah, it's a good question. Again, you know, obviously in the last few weeks, we've seen uh, the share prices of infrastructure assets and renewable assets, uh, you know, trade off to anywhere between sort of 10 and 20 percent in what is normally a pretty stable, stable asset class. And as you sort of alluded to, you know, these trusts have historically traded on premiums, you know, the share price have traded on premiums to their net asset value where today they're on anything up to a sort of 20 percent discount. So it would certainly appear at the headline level that there's some value there and i think that's that's probably right i think you know with interest rates rising all assets have had to reprice to a certain extent so it's fair that infrastructure similarly has has repriced to a certain extent but um you know uh, with a yield of sort of seven percent ish today give or take depending on which which investment company you look at in this space and discounts at 20 percent and it does feel like the the price moves have been overdone um you know the selling has been pretty indiscriminate and you know, if you think about what these trusts offer, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty stable assets in defensive sort of areas of, of the market, very much long term contracts. So the income and the cash flow that these these companies, these companies generate are sort of 20, 30 years um, of time horizons. Generally, you know, most of them have got some good, strong inflation linkage as well. So there's quite a bit of predictability there. And, you know, with that type of predictability, you would expect uh, the companies to trade somewhere near NAV. Um, given that. So given we're on such wide discounts, I think there's some some value there. And, and if you look at the sort of first quarter NAV announcements, they were pretty solid. You know, nothing's really changed. Clearly, some of the sensitivities around sort of interest rates, you know, uh, power price and things like that sort of change NAVs to a small extent. But, you know, they do offset some of the interest rate rises that, that we've seen, certainly the inflation linkage. So I think overall, you know, these are decent defensive good quality Good quality assets. I think. I think the one factor that that makes it difficult to assess, you know, whether we've got absolutely good value today is is just around the macro that you've just been talking about, really. And there's so much uncertainty around 
where interest rates will get to, um, you know, where is inflation and how long will it persist? You know, I think that makes it very difficult. And if we do see, you know, rates go up to sort of six and a half, seven, as you say, and inflation's be pretty sticky, then, you know, we, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some more volatility in this sector going forward. But as we stand today, you know, for long-term investors, I think there is some value there um, at present. Well, thanks, Matt. And um, uh, I guess that, that sort of leads very nicely on to my next question, which is, you know, given um, where risk-free rates have got to, I mean, 5% currently, but you know, like you were alluding to just then, the, the potential to go higher to six or even seven. You know, do you think infrastructure in that environment, do you think infrastructure should continue to play a, a role in portfolios? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, the reason we invest in infrastructure and other assets is, is around diversification, really, and diversification of returns away from, from equity markets, ultimately, which tend to be a, a bias within portfolios. Um, you know, so I, I don't think, as I sort of mentioned, that the characteristics have changed within this within this sector. You know, um, I think you've got some good quality, unique assets in many of these portfolios, you know, defensive assets, you know, high quality counterparties. Many of the sort of cash flows are backed by governments or certainly regulated cash flows and, and subsidies. So, so you've got some good, strong, long term, some cash flows there. As I mentioned, you know, inflation linkage is pretty key in this type of environment. And I think ultimately, you know, the cash flows, you know, unlike sort of government bonds or bonds generally, you know, they, they don't grow where within this asset class, you know, income does grow. And you, we invest with managers that can sort of actively manage their assets and generate, you know, strong growth in their in their cash flows and also in the um, in their asset value. So so there's growth in there as well. So I think, you know, the type of assets that we've sort of talked about there being very defensive, um, a very differentiated and offer diversification within portfolios. So I think that's that's pretty pretty key. And I think the other factor just to mention is, is is the structural trends behind the infrastructure sector generally. You know, there's a lot of new regulation going through in both the US and Europe. You know, committing substantial amounts of capital, billions of of dollars pounds in, into the sector. So there's a lot of investment going into this space. You know, clearly you've got the energy transition. Uh, where you know renewable assets, uh, you know there's a high demand for renewable assets. I, I should say, you know an aging infrastructure across Western economies that need need investment. You know dig digitalization. You know a number of infrastructure funds will invest in things like data centers and what have you, where there's huge amounts of investment going in, and, and ultimately broad population growth as well. So there's big trends behind this sector as well that can sort of certainly um help returns going forward so i think you know infrastructure remains a, a good stable asset class um, but like other asset classes you know it's been it's been sort of uh, impacted by the rate environment that we're seeing in the shorter term but certainly long term i think it it, it, it should still continue to be a a mainstay of uh, of the sort of alternative um, portion of a client's portfolio Brilliant. Thank, thank you, Matt. And I, you know, to totally agree with what you said, you know, the long term uh, sort of structural trends in the space, you know, coupled with the uh, sort of inflate, inflation linkage and in, in some of the cash flow certainly makes the discounts uh, which they trade on today seem slightly surprising. And, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely continuing to, to allocate to that space uh, in our portfolios and, uh, you know, and also you were saying keeping it there for, for the diversification purposes too. Um, but anyway, thank you very much, Richard and Matt, for those great insights and to all of you for listening. Did you enjoy our discussion on the podcast today? We'd love to hear from our listeners. 
So please review the show now, wherever you're listening, and share it on your socials and tag us at Quilt Achieviot. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you're listening on, or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comments on LinkedIn. We will be back next week. In the meantime, head over to our website, www.quiltachieviot.com, where you can read the accompanying market overview, as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. You can stay up to date with our thoughts on markets, news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or on our social media pages. Finally, do you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast? Simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website. We'd love to hear your questions. And that's it for today. So thank you, Richard and Matt, for your time and to all of you for listening. See you next time.